Thank you so much. It's good to be back with you. I think the last time I was with you, we were uh, celebrating your graduates last first part of last June. I think there were several graduates that were recognized that morning. And uh, so anyway, a lot has happened between that time and now, not only in our life, but in your life as well. And so I cherish this opportunity to get to come back and share God's word with you again. And thank you so much. I appreciate your prayers for us. And we've been praying for you during this time of transition as well. And so uh, we're in this thing together, aren't we? Amen, Amen Brother George. So anyway, thank you for being here this morning. Would you bow your head with me for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, as we bow before you this morning, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Lord, as we have lifted up your name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for what you mean to us. We've been reminded of some of the simple things that are so profound. Jesus loves me. This I know. So, Father, that's the greatest thing we could know this morning. We thank you, Lord, for those that have shared in song and testimony. We thank you, Lord, for those that have braved the cold temperatures and gotten out of warm environments and made their way here to worship you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us now as we look to your word. I pray that your spirit would help transform us by your word this morning, challenge us, deal with us, convict us, move us this morning. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Speaking of the word, if you have your Bible with you, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. Verse number 12. Then we're going to look at a, three other passages of Scripture as well. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. And it just simply says this. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God. In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, the disciples and other followers of Jesus were asking him about the signs of the end times. Amazing to me that even in that first century, they were already concerned about end times. I thought, wow. If they thought it was the end times then, they'd really think it was now. But in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus goes down through a long list of some of those signs of the end times. And one of the things he reminded them of, and in verse number 35, he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 16 and 17, Paul said this to Timothy, all, not some, not part, not a little bit, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work. Then Peter shares with us in his second letter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The one thing that these four passages of Scripture have in common is they all talk about the Word of God. Would you agree with me that as God's people, we need to be people of the Word of God? It's the Word of God that will guide us to heaven. It's the Word of God that will instruct us how we're to live on this earth. It's the Word of God that will keep us straight and on this straight and narrow. It's the Word of God that sets us apart from the rest of the world. I'm going to ask you a question. And it, seem, it will seem rather obvious in how you're going to answer it. But I don't want you to answer it out loud. And I think you'll be thanking me after a little while. And here's the question I want to ask you. Do you have a biblical worldview? Or do you have a secular worldview? worldview. Do you have a biblical worldview or do you have a secular worldview? Now, see, on the surface, that seems rather obvious. Brother George, we're in the house of God this morning. We profess to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, so don't you naturally assume that we have a biblical worldview? I assume that's the way it ought to be, but you'd be surprised in the day in which we live of how much the secular worldview is not only influencing people outside the church, but more and more we're seeing that mindset, that worldview is creeping its way into the church and not only into the church, but into the minds of many who sit in our pews in churches this morning. A biblical worldview or secular worldview. There are a lot of hot topics that we could discuss this morning. This morning's message is bigger than I am. This morning's message is so if I were to ask you to contribute to your thought about different worldview ideas and topics, we would come up with a long list that there is no way in any one service that we could cover that and do it justice. And I'm only here for this one service this morning. And this is a message that would really take several services to do. And so I just want to hit a few items just to prove the point so we can see 
how it's creeping into our churches and into our thinking some. And it might be that we may discover that our worldview has been more influenced by secular society than the word of God, than we would really like or hope that it has been. And so bear with me. Go back with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis. And I think that's always a good place to start. And have you noticed that if we have trouble with believing the word of God in the book of Genesis, we're going to struggle believing it the rest of the way through? We can't believe it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if we can't believe it in Genesis. How can we believe in it in Revelation if we have, at the end if we haven't believed in it from the beginning? And so I think a good place to start is back in Genesis. And I know in all the times that I've been here, I have hit on this first thing, and so I'm really not going to elaborate on this first point this morning uh, because I, it would be a repetition of a lot of things that I've said to you over the many years that I've been here and shared with you from God's Word. But I think one of the things we have to start is very back at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And I'll just simply say this. Do you have a biblical worldview on creation? Amen. Or do you have a secular worldview on that? And all this mindset of evolution creeping in there. And so I, I'm just going to leave that as it is because there are some other topics that are even a little bit more testy in the day in which we live that I want to share with you this morning and try to just see where we're at biblically on that. Go with me now at chapter 1 in Genesis. Drop down to verse 26 with me, if you will, please. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Are you with me? Yes. Now I want you to back up to verse 27 for just a moment. And I want you to notice what the end of that verse says. When it, and by the way, in verse 26, when it said, and God said, let us. He uses a plural pronoun there, let us. And you may wonder, well, who was the us? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're still asking good questions. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Very much present at creation. He wasn't talking to you and he wasn't talking to me and he wasn't even asking the angels permission on what he was doing. It was God and his son and the Holy Spirit that were involved in our creation. And I want you to know how he created us. The last part of verse 27 said, male and female 
created he them. God created us from the beginning. His intention was, when it come to us identifying as something, there was only two options, male or female. My, how we've complicated things. My, how we've gotten from the Word of God. Do you see the problem that mankind has when we get away from the Word of God? God's Word made it so simple when it came to how this world came into being. God created it. And when it came, when it came to how we came into being, He created us. And when He created us, He created us in one of two identities. We were either created as male or created as female. I have never thought that I would live long enough to see the day that we would have a problem with figuring that out of what we were, male or female. I don't know what's happening in our society. Common sense has left the room a long time ago. I'm glad that I grew up in the day in which I grew up. Because I remember as I was growing up and as a youngster, not because I have a good memory, it just wasn't that long ago. But I remember when I was growing up and for everybody else that was my age, as we were maturing and going through puberty and going through adolescence and you're trying to figure out who you are and and you're trying to figure out your human sexuality and all of that, if there was any ambiguity and if, if there was any question, if you had any struggle there, thank God we had a adults around us with a little bit of common sense left that they could help us out in that situation. But I feel sorry for our young people today because our young people have lost that source of of mentors, that source of help around them that's going to lead them straight and help them out in that because those around them are just as messed up in their thinking about their human sexuality as the children are. Don't get quiet on me now. Anybody here? Do we have any English teachers here, either currently or previously? My heart goes out to you. I don't know how in the world English teachers are supposed to teach what we were taught when I was going to school. For something like pronouns, I remember when I was in school and we were learning pronouns and we learned that there were singular pronouns and there were plural pronouns. There were personal pronouns and all of us guys in the room learned that we were either he, him, or his. And all the girls knew that they were either she, her, or hers. And the class, if there was more than one of us, it was they, them, and theirs, and we, us, and our. Or if you're from the South, sometimes you could say you or you all. And if you're from Appalachia, where I'm from, it would even be you-ins or us-ins. We added a few pronouns. But we knew this. 
if our teacher referred to they and them, we were looking around for more than one person. And now they even on our jobs, they're having to be taught now about, okay, we're going, we're going to teach you how you're supposed to address your coworkers because they may, not, they, they may want to be addressed by a different pronoun. Bless their little hearts. And some of them want to be not addressed as he or her, but they want to be addressed as them. I got news for them. Them is still plural. And if you think that you're multiple personalities, then you got a problem going on. And there used to be a time when people would get you help with that psychological problem. They wouldn't force the rest of the world to cave in and to your delusion. Don't get quiet on me now. Male and female created he them. I read one report that in psychology today that they say that there is maybe as many as 60 different identities that people identify as. I saw some interviewing some young people. Some of them were college age, and they were asking them about their uh, pronouns or their identity. And I was shocked that there were some of them, that there were very few of them really wanted to identify as male or female, and some of them even identified as this. Well, I'm fluid. I have a fluid identity. And and, and they were saying, well, what that means is today I may identify as a male, tomorrow I may identify as a female, and the day after that I may identify as something else. And I thought, you really got a problem. You got a fluid problem, but maybe it's more fluid on the brain than it is your identity. And then when we got some, and some of our young people identifying as something that's not even human. Hello. Some of them are identifying as animals. And there even some of the teachers are having to take training of how to deal with that. And I thought how you deal with that is you get that poor child some help because any child that thinks there's something other than a human has really got a serious problem. And they don't need the adults around them catering to that problem. They need to get them some serious help. And yet they want the whole world to buy into their delusion and cave into that. It wouldn't do me any good to be a teacher today and have a child say, Brother George, I identify as a cat. Well, bless your little heart, then you don't get to go to recess and when the lunch bell rings, you don't get to go to the cafeteria. Why don't you just go out in the field somewhere and catch a mouse or a bunny rabbit or a rat or go to the science lab and get your rat or a mouse because cats don't eat in the cafeteria and cats don't have pizza and hamburgers and french fries. No need to go to the mall because you don't need any uh, uh, name brand clothes and tennis shoes. It's kind of a situational thing. I'm afraid that some of it has to do with more of a fad and fashion like piercings and tattoos. For some of them, it's a case to be 
uh, recognized and to get some attention when they don't normally get attention anywhere else. And everybody gets to cater to them. But I will say this, you need to understand, I don't want to sound callous or insensitive here, because I do know that there are conditions that a small minority, a very rare condition where there are some that are born with some identity issues there. One of the things that I realize is that there is a rare condition called intersex. They used to call that condition hermaphrodites. They got that name back decades ago because it was the name of a Greek god that was both male and female. And I remember when I was in school, there was one of my classmates that I found out sometime later that had this rare condition. In fact, it is so rare that it strikes about one every 2,000 or one every 4,500 people in the population. But 0 0.02 to 0.05% of the population could be born with this situation. And what happens is one of three things could happen. Either their sexual organs are not fully developed at birth or that there are characteristics of both sexual organs or that the sexual organs externally don't match the ones internally. 0.02% to 0.05% of the population is born with that condition known as intersex. You know what that means? That means that for 99 0.95% of the population, they don't have that condition. And so for 99.95% of the population, let me share this with you. If you're struggling with your human identity, the next time you take a shower or a bath, after you've taken your clothes off, stop in front of the mirror and take a peek and it will solve the answer to your question. <clears throat> now, I realize that there are those who are born with a condition that may make some ambiguity. Here's the amazing part of that. Even among those who are born with that condition, only 1% of that small part of the, of the population have ambiguity about their sexual identity, even at that. And we need to understand that the human body, that who we are is determined by our genes, our DNA, and our chromosomes. And every one of us here this morning have 23 pairs of chromosomes. And one of those pairs determines what our sexual identity was. If we have two X chromosomes, we were born as a female. 
If we have an X and a Y chromosome, we were born as a male. And so there can be genetic tests that can be done. If you're struggling in your mind, if you're struggling with your physically and wondering what that is, there are scientific tests that can be done that can let you know, according to biological makeup, what you are. God designed you that way. God created us. And what we have a responsibility to do is to understand that God has given us this body and that we need to use, we need to recognize that God has given it. He, this is our identity and we need to use the body that he's given us and glorify and give him honor in that. And if we think something else, if we feel something else, it is not that we, it's not that we need to change how God has created us or how God intended us to be. We need to bring our thinking and our feeling into line with how God has created us to be and live the life that brings glory and honor to him. Male and female created he them. Biblical worldview or secular worldview? What kind of worldview do you have when it comes to this identity? God says he created us with two identities. We'll either be male or female. Do you realize that if he'd have created us in any other way, there'd have never been another human being on this earth after Adam and Eve. He made a male and he made a female. He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And if he had made two males, there'd have never been anybody else. If he'd have made two females, there'd have never been anybody else. He made them male and female. And 930 years later, after Adam died, there were still those who could carry on and replenish this earth. And had he not made it that way, that it has stopped right then at the death of Adam and Eve. I realize this is not easy. And I realize that there may be situations of homes here where that has touched. I have several friends. There's a young lady that's a close friend. Her whole family's a close friend of ours. We've known, I've known this young lady her whole life. She's a beautiful 12, maybe 13 years old now. And now all of a sudden, she decided she is, doesn't want to be binary. She doesn't want to be identified as male or female. And, I thought, and she's changed her name. And I'm having a hard time. I, I really refuse to call her by her real name. And if she doesn't want me to call her by her, by her new name, if she doesn't want me to call her by her original name, I, I just try to address her and be as kind as I can. But I'm not buying into that delusion. It's no wonder that prior to this, she was, she was already getting help because of a bipolar situation. And that just recognizes, that just affirms 
that there's a situation already going on that needed to be addressed. But now, rather than getting the help that she needs, we're just giving in to this whole mindset of I'm not identifying as male or female. Well, you can say that all you want, but you, God created you as one or the other. God created you as one or the other. And there are very few exceptions to figuring out what that ought to be. Let me go on. I could park there a whole lot longer. But I think already we sense by how uneasy and sensitive that gets, how much that's creeping in to our churches and into our mindset, even in the pew today. Biblical mindset says God created us with one of two identities. We're either male or female. And by the way, verse 27 didn't say, and male and female and non-binary created he them. It wasn't a third option. Two options, male or female. Let me go on. Another thing that is really concerning me and really kind of troubles me is all this hype that we're hearing about global warming. And I'm getting so sick of hearing about the global warming agenda. And I could buy into it and I could, I could be more serious about it if it was the fact that scientific world are the ones that are promoting it. But the ones that are promoting it, it's more of a political issue than it is a scientific issue. And the scientists that are only crying out about it are the ones that are being paid by the politicians that are promoting this issue and agenda. And I'm afraid that many of that is only done because their investments are in some of the green energy and get rid of the, of the fossil fuels. And they're promoting their cause and their investments. And, and that concerns me a little bit. And some of our young people are concerned about, is there going to be a world for me to grow up in? What's the world going to be like? And all of that stuff. And I want to put your mind at ease this morning because our creator is still in control this morning. And, and I would be a little bit more concerned about global warming if it wasn't for the fact that it first came up by a certain politician who wrote a book who re received accolades and applause from Hollywood for that book. And by the way, the fact that Hollywood accepted and embraced it and applauded it, it kind of waves a red flag for me. This came from the same politician that tried to declare that he was the one that invented the internet. And watch my head, he did not invent the internet. And the title of the book, I think it was mistitled. The title of the book was called Inconvenient Truth. And I think the book should have been called Convenient Lies. But talking about the global warming. And the part that concerns me, Brother Justin, is that the same people that are promoting the global warming thing are the same ones that deny creation in Genesis chapter 1. They're the same ones that have been promoting evolution for the last 50 and 60 years. They're the same ones that deny the biblical account of the flood 
Are you with me? So they deny God as our creator. They deny the biblical account of the flood. They deny what the Bible has to say about that. And so now we're supposed to believe everything that they say about this now. And then it's the same ones because I remember the fact that they denied that God created man, that they want to think that we came from monkeys, and that we evolved from a one-celled amoeba, then we were monkeys, and then we, uh, after being monkeys, then we were kind of Neanderthal and, and kind of stupid cavemen-like. And I want you to understand this. Adam was not a stupid, unintelligent caveman. He was smart enough that he named all the animals that God had created. That's a little bit smarter than what I am. I wouldn't have had a clue what to name them. Don't look at me like that. You wouldn't have either. But anyway, and so here's this same crowd that is all we're hearing about is global warming. And by the way, in the middle of January, when the temperatures were single digits and getting near zero, I never heard one peep about global warming. This week, I've not heard one peep about global warming, except last week when we had unseasonably high temperatures, then I heard a few blips about it. Now, why is that? And here's the same crowd that is talking about global warming, denies creation, has been promoting evolution, denies the flood account, and yet they want us to think we came from cavemen, and then they, they tout this thing. You remember them talking about the ice age? Now listen to me. Don't get me wrong. I believe that there is ice. I believe that there are glaciers, and I believe that there are places, a frozen tundra in a lot of places, especially in the North Pole and the South Pole and that sort of thing. But this same crowd wants me to believe that there was a time when this entire earth was covered by ice and snow. Say, Brother George, don't you believe that? Don't you believe that there was an ice age? Well, let me ask you this. How is it, if there could have been an ice age where the entire earth was covered by ice and snow, and yet the same ones that are telling me there was an ice age are the same ones that deny the biblical count of the flood because they say it's an impossibility that this whole earth could be covered by water. Did it ever dawn on them what ice and snow is comprised of? Last I checked, ice and snow was precipitation in a frozen form. And yet they want to tell me that the earth could be covered by ice and snow, but it's impossible it could be covered by water. Some of you get that on the way home. One of the things that they don't take into account, I don't think, is they think about the amount of rain that would have to come down in order for that to happen. Well, being in southeast Ohio in the foothills of the Appalachians along the Ohio River Valley, 
I've seen what just a few hours of heavy rain can do and the, what devastation a flash flood can happen in just a short amount of time. I cannot imagine what would happen if it was 40 days and 40 nights of a deluge like that, but what they don't take into account, it doesn't just count what water came down from the sky. They seem to forget that also the fountains of the great deep were broken up. Not only was the water coming down, but the water was coming up. And you take into account how much water is underneath the surface of this earth. And when all of that is gushing up and that is coming down. Go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis chapter 8, look with me at verse 22. If you're worried about tomorrow, if you're worried about global warming, whether we're going to get too hot or whatever, and by the way, while you're turning there, I wish that some of these politicians on any given day would sit down about 6.15 in the evening or about 11.15 in the evening and watch their local weather. They, what difference does that make? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're still asking good questions. I think what difference it would make because there's a lot of times, there's a lot of times when I watch the local weather that sometimes they will put a chart and a graph up there to be seen and they will show what temperatures were maybe 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And they will talk about record high temperatures. And they will talk about record low temperatures. And you know what I've discovered by watching that? There has always been changes in weather. That there are times when it gets hotter than normal. And there are times when it gets colder than normal. There has always been fluctuation in, in temperature and climate. There have been El Ninos and El Ninos and Nor'easters that have brought in and have changed the climate and have changed the temperatures drastically but we have historical accounts and records that show that that has always happened. Guess what? I don't remember one time in my, in my childhood days of ever hearing anybody say anything about global warming because they just knew weather changes. There have been record highs and record lows, but please take this biblical account Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Did you catch that? While the earth remaineth, summer and winter, Cold and heat, seed time and harvest, day and night. Those things are always going to continue. So young people, lay your head down tonight and rest well knowing that tomorrow God will still be in control regardless of what the weather's going to be. And that there'll be a summer and there'll be a winter. There'll be day and there'll be night. There'll be cold and there'll be heat. And God will still be in control.
you can either have a secular worldview about that or a biblical worldview. And I choose to have a biblical worldview that believe God created this earth and he's able to keep it in control and take care of it as long as I'm on this earth and need it. Amen, Brother George. Let me go on to another one. And this one is a little bit more sensitive. You say, oh, dear, dear, dear Brother George, don't get more sensitive than what you've already been. Another thing that concerns me is what we're seeing happen in our society with the homosexual agenda. Now, I want to I preface what I'm about to say with this. I want you to understand, and don't misunderstand me, what I'm about to say from the world's perspective may be perceived as hate speech. What I'm saying is not hate speech. I don't have any hatred toward any group of people. Certainly not toward the gay community. I have a lot of friends. I have several friends that are openly gay. I don't approve of their lifestyle. They know that. I don't agree with them. I don't condone it. But I acknowledge them as a human that Jesus died on the cross for and that they need to be saved. And I want to love them like Jesus would love them so they can be saved. And so what I'm about to say, I don't say out of hatred and I don't say out of meanness. I say out of love because I don't want anybody to go to hell. And I'm certainly not a homophobe. I am not afraid of that. Only, only what I'm afraid is of what, uh, of what this agenda and this, this whole initiative in our society is going to do to our young people. And it's another thing that I, I have a two-year-old granddaughter and a four-year-old granddaughter and I don't want them indoctrinated with things that, that are unbiblical and with lifestyles that are ungodly according to the word of God. And I don't want them to grow up in, a, in an environment that just says, this is normal, accept it. Hello. If you go back to Genesis again, back to Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 19, what we have in Genesis 19 is the destruction of the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't have to be very intelligent. You don't have to know much about Scripture. Just reading in Genesis chapter 19 to understand why those two cities were destroyed. And yet in our society, there are people that are denying why those cities were destroyed. In fact, some are even saying that those cities were destroyed because of their inhospitality toward the angels that God had sent there. I thought, inhospitality? Those cities were not destroyed because of inhospitality. They were destroyed because of the sin of homosexuality. Amen. Homosexuality was running so rampant there, and, and so much so that when God sent those two angels there in the form of men, every man, young and old alike, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah saw that there were two new guys in town that they hadn't had and they wanted to be with them. 
In fact, the scripture says when Lot, they came in, Lot realized, fellas, you can't stay outside. It's not safe for you to stay outside. Come into my home. And the men of the town literally were beating down the door in Lot's home to get to those two guys. And they said, send them out here so we can know them. That does not mean they wanted to shake their hand. It doesn't mean they wanted to pat them on the back and get acquainted. To know them meant they wanted to know them intimately. And to show them, to show you how perverted they were, Lot offered the men of the city his two virgin unmarried daughters. And he told them, you can have your way with my two daughters. Just don't bother these two guys. And they rejected that offer. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for the sin of homosexuality. Why is it? Nearly every country and nearly every state in America have laws on the books against a crime known as the crime of sodomy. Where do they think they came up with that name? Can I share this with you? The crime of sodomy is not the crime of inhospitality. When someone has been sodomized, it's not just that they were treated inhospitable. Where did they come up with that name? It's because that's what those cities were known for. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 20. In Leviticus chapter 20, look with me at verse 13. In Leviticus chapter 20, the Lord is dictating to Moses this list of taboos, a a long list of sexual sin. And Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, he said, If a man also lieth with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Let me repeat that. If a man also lieth with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Let me share this with you this morning. In the eyes of God, that is still an abomination. In the eyes of God, that act is still an abomination. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, again, it's another one of those passages of Scripture. I don't know how any intelligent human being could read this. You don't need a theology degree to understand this. You could read Romans chapter 1 and understand of some of the stuff that is going on and what God is speaking, what Paul is speaking against here. Drop down with me to verse 25. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, he said that, that they changed the truth, truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And said, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did, leave, did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one to another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. The word unseemly means this, indecent and shameful. Indecent and shameful. I don't know how you can read verses 25 to 27 and not realize what God is talking about. Women, change the natural use of the woman and that which is against nature. Men with men, burning in their lust one to another. What's they talking about? Talking about the acts of homosexuality. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Can I make a safe assumption? Can I assume we all want to go to heaven? We want to go, I want everybody to go to heaven. And this is why I affirm what I am saying may be in the eyes of the world perceived as hate speech. But I'm saying what I'm saying with as much love as I can say to warn. I want people to go to heaven. I don't want anybody to miss heaven. But we need to understand there are some things that will keep us out of heaven. There are things, sin will keep us out of heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, drop down to verse 9. Here's what Paul said. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He gives a small snippet list of examples of sins that will keep you out of heaven. Back up to verse 9. Because in verse 9, the King James Version uses the word effeminate. Every other translation that I have looked at uses, doesn't use the word effeminate. It uses the word homosexual or homosexuality as listed among those sins that would keep you out of heaven. But here's the good news, and this is why this is not a hate message, because notice what Paul said of these Corinthians, because Corinthians, the Corinthian believers, they had been saved from a lot of of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality was running rampant in Corinth. And here's what he said, verse 11, And such were. Not only did I learn the right pronouns, but I also learned about verbs. That there are some past tense verbs. And that that were is a past tense. And such were some of you. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He said, you thank God that may have been what you used to be, but by the grace of God, it's not who you are now. Thank God the old things are passed away and all things are become new. You see, homosexuality is listed among those sins that will keep you out of heaven. But the good news and the loving message this morning is it is not the unpardonable sin. 
It can be forgiven. And if that is who you are or what you are right now, it doesn't have to define who you end up being. You can be a new person in Christ. Say, Brother George, but what if I was born that way? And by the way, I would think that there, there's a lot of our young people that are experimenting with homosexuality just simply because the internet and television is plastered with it as a normal way of life now. They're experimenting with it because everybody else around them is doing it. You cannot sit down and watch television anymore whether it's a commercial or programming, without them having a same-sex couple on that commercial or program. In fact, I was speaking, I had a man come to me the other day that his job is he goes into Walmart and puts books in the, in, in the book racks at Walmart. And he was so embarrassed that as a Christian, he realized that some of the books that he's putting on the shelves in Walmart are geared toward preschoolers that are teaching the homosexual agenda to preschoolers. And so our children... Our children in grade school and preschool and high school, not only are they being indoctrinated with that now, that's the agenda for the school system, but it's everything they're being bombarded with of what they're seeing by way of media. And somebody needs to let them know the whole world may be doing it and the whole world may be accepting it, but God's word is still against it and it's still a sin in the eyes of God. And if you want to make it a heaven, it needs to be cleansed and forgiven out of your life. And some of them are only doing it because everybody else is doing it or they're just experiencing with it or trying it out. We say, Brother George, what about those? Don't you think some are born that way? And to those, my answer will surprise you. I will say this. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. David said in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Do you realize that every one of us, regardless of what sin we committed, Brother Justin was talking about the years that he lived out in sin and whatever he did at that time and that whatever any of us did before we came to the Lord, every sin that we ever committed, we committed it because it was already in our heart when we were born. We were born, listen to me, we were born with a sin nature. We were born with a sin nature. That's why we preach the holiness message. We have a carnal heart when we come into this world. And we don't know if that carnal heart is not cleansed by the sanctifying grace and power of the Holy Spirit. There is no telling what that carnal heart will do. For some, it has caused them to be prolific liars. For some, it's caused them to be a thief. 
For some, it's caused them to have a propensity to anger, and maybe even to the point committed murder. For some, it caused them to have a weakness toward addictive behaviors like drugs and alcohol. But it's in the heart. For some, that carnal heart leads them into a life of homosexual behavior because it's carnal. It's not subject to the laws of God. Neither indeed can be. Would you agree with me that just because a carnal heart makes a sin doesn't make sin okay? No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sin okay. It just means it needs to be forgiven of and cleansed, not swept under the rug and condoned. There is, there is no greater example of seeing the effects of the carnal heart. I mean, if I were to ask you, where could you go to see the greatest effects of the carnal heart and what it can cause a person to do? Some of you'd be thinking, oh, the prison or jail. People are in prison and they're in jail because of what the unconverted carnal heart has caused them to do. Well, and there'd be many of them say, I never dreamed I'd do what I did. I never dreamed I would ever do, stoop to doing what I did. No, but listen to me, you don't have to go that far. All you'd have to do, anybody here work in a daycare? Anybody here ever work in a church nursery? That's as far as you have to go. You watch those beautiful, young, innocent children. We don't have to teach them to lie. We don't have to teach them to steal. We don't have to teach them to get angry and mean. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. We don't have to teach them to be jealous. Where does that come from? We do have to teach them to share. We have to teach them not to say bad words. We have to teach them to not be mean and hit. We have to teach them not to be selfish. We have to teach them all these things we have to teach them because there is stuff in their heart that we never taught them. How, where did that come from? It would, they were born with that in their heart. And if we don't get them to Jesus early, and the earlier is more important, we will lose them. There's no telling what that sinful heart will lead them down the road to do. But the potential is there in the heart already. Well, let me go on. Will you give me time to share one more with you? Biblical worldview versus secular worldview. Biblical worldview, human sexuality, identity is very clear. Two options, male and female. Biblical worldview, when it comes to global warming, God said, while the earth remaineth, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God's still in control. Biblical worldview, when it comes to homosexuality, God's word still says it's wrong. God's word still says those that are practicing that are going to miss heaven. The good news is Jesus died on the cross to forgive them and save them if they want to be saved. They can make it to heaven if they'll ask for forgiveness. One more. 
biblical worldview. I was, I was really disturbed. I was really not happy to be in Ohio in last November. Last November, we went to the polls. Really only two main issues. There were a few local races that were going on. Two main issues on the ballot in Ohio last November. One was the issue of abortion. The other was the issue of legalizing recreational marijuana. From my perspective, seemed like a no-brainer. From my perspective, seemed like an easy decision to go to the polls. I mean, especially with legalizing recreational marijuana, I thought the last thing, the last thing we need is more drivers behind the wheel under the influence of more stuff. Lord, help us. And yet, that issue passed. 2.2 million people in Ohio voted to say, okay, let's get high together. God help us. The other issue, abortion. I think any biblical, any human being with any biblical background at all couldn't see any merits in thinking it's okay to kill babies. And yet the issue that we were voting on then was that to kill babies at any time during the pregnancy for any reason. And in an area, see part of the problem with growing up in Southeast Ohio, there being in the Appalachian foothills we're still in the Bible Belt. And I'm thankful for Southeast Ohio that soundly voted against that issue. But because of the liberalism from Central Ohio on up to North, it was overwhelmingly, again, 2.2 million Ohioans voted for that awful issue. Let's kill babies any time in the womb for any reason. I thought, God help us. Go with me. But, but brother, brother George, I think, I think we need to be pro-choice. I think that ought to be the woman's choice. Well, what about the choice for the baby? I think the baby has a right to live. Let it be born and ask it. Some of you get that on the way home. The mother already had a choice in most cases. Before the baby was conceived, she had a choice. And the father did too. But listen to me. Here's the problem. They're not comparing apples with apples. They're comparing apples and oranges. Say, what do you mean? Because here's what they say. If you're for abortion... That just simply means I'm pro-choice. And if you're against abortion, that means you're pro-life. No, that's not a correct comparison. If you're saying you're pro-choice, and if I'm on the opposite side from you, then you're saying I'm against choice. And that's not correct. If I say I'm pro-life, in fact, they're saying I'm pro-life, 
then a correct comparison is if you're standing opposite of me, that means you're saying I'm pro-death because the opposite of life is death. Don't say I'm pro-death, Brother George. That sounds too awful. It sounds awful because it is awful. The opposite of life is death. You're either for life or you're against life. I'm going to share this with you. And don't misunderstand me. And don't misquote me when you leave here. God has always been pro-choice. God has always been pro-choice. Now, don't leave here and say that I said God was for abortion. That is not what I said. I said God has always been pro-choice. But when it comes to life, go with me, if you will, to the Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, drop down to verse 19. I'm almost done, in case you were wondering. If you need to change your reservation at the restaurant, you might go ahead and do that. But anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Here's what the Lord says to his people. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Not does he just want the adult to live, he wants the conceived child to live. I'm giving you a choice. I want you to choose. I set before you, choose life or choose death. Choose blessing or choose cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Listen to me. Last November, 2.2 million Ohioans chose death. And I'm afraid that for our state, they have now chosen cursing and rather forfeited blessing because they forfeited life. We've got two options. God has given us a choice. But he wants us to make good choices. And when it comes to life and death, he wants us to choose life. And he wants us to choose blessing, not cursing. And then we wonder, some of the very ones who are all for aborting babies are pointing an accusing finger at God and saying, why does God allow this? And why doesn't he do this? And why doesn't he find this cure for cancer? Why doesn't he heal this sickness? God would have every right to point a finger at us and say, I sent you someone with the cure, but you sucked them down an abortion tube. I sent you someone with a cure for cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, or whatever, and I sent you the was one that had the answer to your problem, and you aborted them. Can you imagine in the last 50 years, all those millions of babies that were aborted earlier would now be 50 years old and the amount of money they could have paid into uh, to Social Security, the amount of taxes they could have paid in, the amount of jobs they could have filled with all the now hiring signs that we see, the millions of people that would be alive to fill those positions. 
the technology, the minds, the brilliant minds that would have been on this earth, and yet we aborted them? God help us. Go with me to Psalm 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins and covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, and being unperfect, yet in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. David's reflecting on the creative power of God and realize God knew everything about me when I was developing in my mother's womb. It's as though his fingers were involved in knitting me together and he had all my parts numbered. He didn't just know me when I came out of the womb. He knew me the moment I was conceived. In fact, I'll take it a step farther than that because the songwriter said, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. 2,000 years ago, before I was ever created, ever thought of, God sent his son to die on the cross because he knew one day I would be here and one day I would need a savior and Jesus took my place on the cross. You see, do you have a biblical worldview on these issues? Or has the secular mindset creeped in to our church pews? Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit, Lord, that inspired the word to be written, that preserved it for us, that has proclaimed it this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. If there's any area where we have compromised, any area, Lord, that we realize that the secular worldview has creeped into my way of thinking, it's creeped into my life more than I realized, Lord, we need to be people that are people of the Word of God. The Word of God's quick and powerful and sharper. It was sharp this morning. It is hurt, it is caught, not only on the way in, but on the way out. And Lord, if there's any area where we, was, our world is trying, our world is trying to change your world to fit our lives, when we need to change our lives to fit your word. Speak to our hearts now. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.